Hello, I'm Mary Portis, and this is The Kindness Economy, a podcast that looks at the new values driving the businesses of tomorrow, people, planet, and profit. In that order, it's the future. Are you ready for better? It's the most wonderful time of the year tomorrow, not Black Friday, the apex of consumerism. Quite frankly, it's one of the most depressing days of the year for me. And this comes from a woman who loves retail and actually enjoys great shopping. This isn't great, and not least for smaller retailers. Because at the heart of this, this is businesses trying to sell us a lot of stuff that we don't need or add to our life in a real or meaningful way. And because it's about shifting stuff, there's lots of sometimes nefarious ways to make you believe that you're getting a deal. Listen to this. Last year, a witch investigation revealed that 98% of the discounts advertised the previous year were available for the same price or cheaper in the six months after the sale. Yes, you heard that. 98%. But nevertheless, we just can't seem to get enough of Black Friday, which has created a sales juggernaut, with many retailers feeling they have to jump on the barrel because, well, everyone else is going over the cliff. And we know, and I know, having spoken to so many of them, the hardest hit are the small and the medium-sized businesses, those retailers who can least afford to cut prices. They buy in stock and they put themselves under this huge financial and logistical stress because they're expected to take part in this wonderful shopping holiday. Oh, this imported shopping holiday. Look, I've got nothing against well-thought-out promotions. And I also know that sometimes money is tight and it's bloody difficult to resist a promotion. But here's the problem. We are plunging ever deeper into an abyss of consumption. Thankfully, though, there are green shoots of a shift of all around us as more and more clever, creative and caring brands opt out. <laughs> I laugh because even Chinese online bear moth Alibaba announced earlier this month that it's going to focus on sustainability for this year's Singles Day, which is China's equivalent of Black Friday. Uh, before you get too excited, the move also came in response to the Chinese government cracking down on monopolies. But the fact is this. It's not just down to retailers. We as consumers have a part to play. If we didn't buy all this stuff, then Black Friday, quite frankly, would lose interest. It's a symbiotic relationship we're participating in and propping up this frenzy of consumerism and it's impacting us on every level, financially, emotionally and spiritually. So the key for each of us is not to get sucked down the plug hole. Buy well, be respectful, be mindful, and think about whether you really need it. Trust me, you'll feel so much better for it. I'm Mary Portas. Welcome to The Kindness Economy. The Kindness Economy is supported by Dell Technologies and their advisors are ready to take your call, whether it's a question about storage, laptops, a new data center or the iCloud, Dell Technologies Advisors offers tailored solutions designed to keep your business productive. And this one-on-one -on -one dedicated support is super convenient. You can call, talk or chat with your advisor directly. Do more with your devices. 
Call your Dell Technologies advisor today on 0800 085 4878. That's 0800 085 4878. Okay, here's the show. We all know that good nutrition in the early years is key to future healthy eating habits. But with one in five children in England either overweight or obese when they start primary school, which then rises to one in three at secondary school, there's still a lot to do. The mission at the heart of baby and toddler food company Ella's Kitchen is to improve children's lives by developing healthy relationships with food. Through their products, of course, but also from baby weaning events to farm visits for children. But listen, there's a lot more to this company. It's a B Corp, which means it takes its responsibilities to people and planet very seriously. It lobbies on company tax rules and it's donated over 900,000 food pouches during the pandemic. Ella's Kitchen faces challenges, however, not least the fact that their products are still packaged in single-use plastic. There's also, as we know, constant debate about just how healthy food pouches are. Today, I'm talking to CEO Mark Cardigan about all of this, as well as his really interesting take on the role of the CEO in tomorrow's businesses and how we can impact change through government on the role of businesses in society. Hi, Mark, and welcome to The Kindness Economy. I have to tell everybody that um, Mark is sitting stroking my dog, which, uh, <laughs> and we've had this really long conversation over dogs. And I want you just to quickly tell the story of your dog and why you think dogs are important. So I've, I grew up in a family of dogs, and so for me, my, my childhood wouldn't have been the same without dogs. Yeah. Um, and my wife never had dogs and wasn't that keen and been put off by friends. And about a year before lockdown, I went to the American Embassy and saw the historian, Anthony Selden, Sir Anthony Selden. And he was talking about Theresa May and Brexit and a fascinating conversation. And at the end, he was asked, if you're a prime minister and there's one thing you could do, what would you do? And he said, you know, the incidence of mental health issues with our young at the moment is an epidemic and it's an absolute scandal. He said, I haven't got the time to go into the reasons why. He said, but I've been in education all my life. He's chair of Buckinghamshire University at the moment. And he said, if there's one thing I could do, I would put a dog in every single school establishment from nurseries upwards where there are children, because they are simply the best thing for mental health. So I went home straight away and said to my wife, that's it, we're getting a dog because our, our eldest suffers from um, mm. anxiety because mm. of an autoimmune condition she has. And I managed to persuade my wife, we got a dog, a giant golden doodle who is literally changed everything for us. We are all still a year in, totally obsessed. It's exactly the same with us. And I, I put up a post the other week because I just don't understand why shops don't allow dogs. It's mm. like, are you serious here? You know, don't get me on it. I've always allowed dogs in my office and people stop and they connect and they just go, ooh. Yeah. You Whenever know? we walk, we go walking yeah. around where we live. People just smile because it's massive. Gut and it's just such a lovely it's, way. And you, know? you talk and you yeah. meet people and you connect. I'm sorry. I'm on that with you. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for talking about that <laughs> slightly tangential approach, but also deeply important. Um, so, Mark, 
you're the chief exec of Ella's Kitchen. I want to just sort of um, get a bit of background about you. And um, I know what's very important to you is working in a kind way, like in the kindness economy and, and being a decent business and being a B Corp and all those things. Tell me about your background. I mean, was this always quite important to you? Were you always that type of person? No, and I definitely don't want to come. My my wife says I have this sort of Peter Perfect syndrome. I can come across as a, you know, too perfect, which I am absolutely not. And um, so, no, I wasn't. I mean, I left university. I qualified as a professional tennis coach. Back before then. So back before. So, um, wow, back before then, this is going to turn into therapy. No, don't make it hugely long. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is it therapy? Do you need therapy? Is that why you skipped the first bit? No, I don't think so. So, I mean, I, I was sent away to a uh, very privileged background. I was sent away to private school, aged eight. Um, and from eight to well, that 18. Probably does need therapy. Yeah, then, probably. Yeah. I was, um, vast majority of my life was spent at school, away from home. So. Just on that, would you do that for your kids? Uh, no, no. And no criticism of my parents. No, of I course. mean, it's a different time. Um, but no, there's just no way. I mean, my, my two girls are 12 and 10. Just, it's not even a thought to send them away. You know, we want to be with them and, and their children. So children should be with their parents. That's my, you know, my lived experience, I suppose. Mm. Um, so I, fe- I finished school. I went to university, uh, studied geography and then left university. Like most people thinking, I don't know really what I want to do with my life. I never had a plan. Um, I love tennis. So I qualified as a professional tennis coach and did that for a couple of years. I also wanted to be a wannabe DJ, so I was DJing in, in the UK and around the world, probably not very well, but uh, doing my best. Um, and then I was looking around for what to do, and I ended up in a nuts and snacks company. And I was there for 13 years, and we built it up from you know nothing into quite a big company, sold that to a, a PLC. And then with one of the people that, that I was involved at, Dorman Foods was a nut company. We brought a granola cereal company, built that up, sold that. Um, All decent stuff. I mean, was that, were you doing stuff that was environmental? Uh, yes. I mean, we treated people really, really well. Um, but the environmental aspect, I mean, it just, it hadn't really landed with me. Up no, no. I'm, and, and, and I'm not in any way picking you up on that because yeah. exactly it hadn't bloody landed with me at all for a very long time. You know, I was selling lots of fashion, helping businesses do that. So I'm just wondering whether there was any, you know, part of you that was suddenly aware or... I think, it's, I think it's in all of us, actually, inherently, that, that we're good people. The vast majority of us are, are good people. Mm. Um, so we ran the businesses in a, in a what we would term a good way. But was it, were we properly taking you know, care of the planet? I don't think it just entered our consciousness. Yeah. And I've, uh, you know, I've been at Ella's for just over 10 years, and it has completely changed my life. And it was meeting Paul Lindley, who set Ella's up with a purpose outside of just making money. And at the time... What was the purpose? Our mission at Ella's Kitchen is to improve children's lives through developing healthy relationships with food. So we want to, you know, kids to grow up with healthy habits that last a lifetime. You know, just this week, there's some stats that have come out that 28% of children enter nursery. That's four turning five. 28% are obese or overweight. That has gone up from 22% pre-pandemic. I mean, it is awful, awful, awful. And at the moment, all government policies start at five. So we at Ellis Kitchen are saying, maybe that's a little bit late. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to start much, much earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so the mission, you know, of Ellis Kitchen was not to make money. Be interesting. I was talking to Dale Vince, who has Ecotricity in Stroud, and he's always, that's been his thing, not to make money. And um, he, he was making me smile because he basically invested in Forest Green Rovers, which he's made the first vegan football team. 
And, uh, you know, so he's taken things like, you know, what were sold as the big old burgers and, and you know, mm -hmm. uh, hot dogs and put vegan everywhere, when, even for the crowds who go. You know, we're talking about Harvard football fans yeah, yeah. here. I love the idea of this, you know, actually. The, the inroads that we can make on food is just fundamental. I mean, it's probably, is it, would you, is food seen as the biggest effect on our planet? Do you know? In terms of food, transport, fashion, where does food sit on that? Do you know? You well, don't have food, to answer. Actually. I mean, food's very hard. So yeah. very, very high up. I mean, if you take the supermarkets, yeah. it's even higher. Yeah. So nearly half of everything in a supermarket's got palm oil in. Palm oil is, is the lead in deforestation. So, um, yeah, the food and drinks and, and everything in the supermarket, you know, shampoo, it's, mm. it's having a massive impact on Check that. everything, guys. Listen, check everything that you buy. Just look at it. Just look at every detail of what you buy. That's a very simple thing we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So you joined Ellis in 2011. And um, can we just sort of start by, first of all, acknowledging the constant debate around those food pouches? I want to talk about that, you know, from the sugar that they they contain to their impact on developing motor skills. And we know how important how labelling is, which I've just talked about, and how misled customers can be. How are you as a business addressing all this and making sure your food is as healthy as it can be and the packaging as well? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you, you can take pot shots at Ella's for lots of things, but I don't think um, sugar and the pouch development, which you talked about there, are really fair. So in terms of sugar... Our products, so if you take our apples and banana products, mm -hmm. that has the exact same amount of sugar that if you'd mashed it down at home and given it to a baby. The exact same. We don't add anything else. So there's nothing we can do about that sugar. And we would say, you know, in terms of nutrition, and you've got everything else that, 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 that's, in, that's in fruit, um, that that's a good thing. By the way, uh, that's not a pot. That was a question. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, here he comes. Well, you see that. Well, it that, is so. That, yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of my my worst traits is my uh, defensiveness. That is for sure, and that's probably another podcast. Um, <laughs> that's but, right. But, you know, if you believe in something, defend it. Yeah, know? but yeah, genuinely, you know, it, that, that that is a fact. And in terms of development, on all of our packs, it says don't feed from the spout. You put it on on a spoon when you when you feed it to a baby. So mm. I don't think that that's a problem either. And in terms of the goodness of our food, I mean, that's that's what we do, you know. And what um, about your packaging? Are you are you looking at that, how you can maybe get less of the plastics in there? Yeah, I mean, that. OK, so that is definitely a, the elephant mm. in the room that we are well aware of. Mm. And who would have thought it, you know, 16 years ago when Paul Lindley started the company, that plastics would be the problem it is today. Mm. Um, so we are absolutely looking at it. Um, we're not looking at it just at ourselves. So we got together with other competitors yeah. and formed a flexible packaging consortium. And actually, it's quite cool. So we've been able to... It's called to, collaboration, which it's is called great. Yeah. I love this. And that, so much of that has come out of actually post-COVID. I just think that's fantastic. Yeah, and One of the things actually. I loved was when, um, talking about collaboration, when um, McDonald's couldn't, you know, use their staff because they weren't open and they just sent them down to the local supermarkets to help out down there. I love that, you know? Yeah, yeah. We, we wouldn't have seen that before. Yeah. We were just so individualistic and I hope it remains. Yes, yeah, so you've collaborated with other companies to say, let's come up with the answers here. Well, so at the moment, the local authorities are all doing different things with regards to recycling. And I would argue that the recycling system in the UK is broken. And the government and DEFRA were saying, 
we don't want to pick up flexibles. So by flexibles, I mean crisp packets, R patches, yeah, yeah. And all I'm sorts still of... amazed at that. Yeah. And I'd read them. They have that little black thing that says, no, you can't recycle. And you go, seriously, yeah. we still can't recycle crisp packets? Yeah. And so, so there are... But can you recycle? Well, here's the thing. So they basically said it's not possible technically to collect it and sort it. And also... It doesn't make sense from a commercial point of view. So we undertook this study for 18 months with all these other companies. And we were able to prove, actually, it is technically possible, looking at other recycling systems around the world. And commercially, it does pay back. It does make sense. So DEFRA are looking at the moment. I hope that actually quite soon they're going to say, we're going to pick up all flexible. So this wasn't just you know trying to get our pouches No, you were up. being collaborative. We're trying to do it for everyone. This is, what, this is what we have to. We haven't got the answers on half this stuff. Yeah. And we have to come together. We can't do this individually. Love that. So we need a little note to level. Because you engage with the healthy... I know that you're partnering with food education charities, for instance, but you're also lobbying on government on this childhood obesity stuff. Yeah. How is that going? So are you lobbying the DEFRA stuff as well on this? You yeah, know? yeah. yeah. So, okay. so, so both. Um, to explain what DEFRA is, it's the Department of... Em- education. Uh, 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 Department of Environment and Rural Affairs. Um, so they are responsible for the recycling system, for example, in, in the UK. Um, and they tell the local authorities what and to do. Give me some more information on those two people living near me in Gloucestershire who work for DEFRA. I'm going to be knocking on their door. Well, uh, the more we can bloody do this. Bang, bang, bang. But so come, t- tell me about the uh, the government's childhood obesity strategy, because poor old Jamie, crikey, you know, it's a bit like me with the high streets. I always just think people go, well, it's worse than it was. It's not working. And it's the same with Jamie out there fighting obesity and it's just getting worse. But, you know, you've got to keep bloody getting back up there and, uh, you know, fighting this. Where are you getting to on that below fives? Well, We've had some really good successes. Good. So, for example, a couple of years ago, we had this sort of campaign called Veg for Victory. And it was based on, we did this um, study with the British Nutrition Foundation of all weaning studies that have been done worldwide. And we were able to prove a really, really cool thing. Like, And this is the first time anyone will be able to prove this, that when you start weaning, so when you start giving your child, your baby, solid foods for the first time, if you start with vegetables for the first two weeks, both in frequency and variety, it has a material impact on that child's vegetable intake when they're one, two, three, four, yeah. five, i.e. they'll eat more vegetables. It's true, yeah. And this is amazing, right? So this is great. And at the time, the Department of Health and GPs were saying, when you start weaning, mash down a bit of fruit. So we started mm. this campaign. We marched on the Houses of Parliament with kids because actually we knew they wouldn't arrest kids. We did, delivered something to the Houses of Parliament. We delivered this, this greener paper that we wrote to the Department of Health. And then we engaged all of our retailers and of all of our consumers with a campaign saying, start buying the veg when you start weaning. And actually, this stuff is easy, though, for governments to do. I mean, let's talk about this. This isn't exactly... Could we put out a message that when you start weaning, you start with vegetables? Here's the stats. Here's the results. What the actual fuck is the problem here, government? (laughs) I mean, it just gets me, you know? This makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, but it's never easy. And it took us just over a year, but they changed it. And that's amazing. Well done, government. Well done, government. But we're still pushing those sort of messages. So we do activism and all these things all of the time. And one of the things that you are a member of is a B Corp Mm. and you became a B Corp in 2016. I wanted to look at that in more detail. Tell me, and for people listening, what a B Corp is and what do you have to do to become one? Because it's tough. It's not easy, but tell me all about it. Yeah, no, it, it is a nightmare to certify. So... 
B Corps are for-profit companies that have passed a free online test. Sounds easy so far. Yeah. You've got to get 80 points out of 200. Sounds even more easy, but it's really not. I know. And I would argue that it's the toughest and highest social and environmental test that is out there. So it'll yes. ask you about 200 questions, and it delves into everything you do as a company, from your gender pay gap, your diversity. It'll look at what your product is, what your impact on society is, what your impact on the environment is, how you're taking care of all of these things. And it assesses whether you are a great company or not. And one of the brilliant things about the assessment is, for me, it'll give you, any company, a free sustainability plan. You can just log on, answer all the questions, and then it'll give you this improvement plan. You can decide to do it or not. If you get the 80 points, you can then put forward an application to certify as a B Corp. And this is the really powerful thing. You would then have to change your articles of association at Companies House to commit as a company and as a senior team to taking care of all stakeholders in your decision making. So people, planet, profit, forever. So it is a massive commitment from the company and the senior team. This is what you want to do. And I would just say, you know, the the movement, because it is a movement of people using their businesses as a force for good, has one aim and one aim only which is to change how we measure success in business. Totally. And that is what the kindness economy is about. That is what this is about. How do we measure success and success for business in the future that will help people, planet and our profit is that we create thriving companies mm. and not just ones that are about growth. Agreed? Yeah. And can yeah. I give, can I Course, give, you, give you an anecdote that something that happened like six months ago, which sort of sums it all up for me. So I was talking to a journalist and she said to me, so last year, last 12 months weren't very successful for Ella's Kitchen. And I was like, well, that's funny. Like, why would you say that? Me being defensive. Yeah. I said, you know, we grew it through. Did you say the word, do you have a pop at me? Did you get, did you get your little <laughs> yeah. fist out? I did, yeah. Stop having a pop at me. <laughs> um, so uh, I said, well, you know, we grew at 3%. The cash grew down 5%. And I was thinking to myself, I didn't say this, but what would be good? Yeah. 5%, 6%, 7%. Yeah, what's good? And these are just percentages. And to me, it's just a number. It doesn't yeah. really yeah. mean anything. Yeah. And I said to her something that I really, really believe is, I said, actually, I think the last 12 months at Ella's Kitchen have been the most successful we've had as a company. And I gave her three reasons why they've been successful. Firstly, in the first few days of a pandemic, so nearly half of the people that work at Ella's Kitchen are parents. First few days of the pandemic, when we were in lockdown, when Boris said, you know, work from home. Um, the parents are pretty anxious about how are they going to work from home when they're going to do the homeschooling with the children. I mean, it was a nightmare, right? Um, got everybody together and said, no matter how much work you are able to do, because our sales were fine, for the duration of the pandemic, you will be paid in full. If you are a parent, I expect you to prioritize your children and any dependents you have over work. All I ask you to do is let your manager know if you're not able to do any work so we can stop doing things or reallocate. So that was the first thing we did. The second thing we did, again, within the first couple of weeks, is realize that the food bank charities that rely on food from, from manufacturers weren't going to have any product because everybody was panic buying and the manufacturers were prioritizing their retailers. We prioritized our food banks. We gave away a million pouches to the most vulnerable children in society. And the third thing we did was we made great strides on us becoming a net zero business, which is something I'm super passionate about, and we all need to do it, otherwise there's going to be no future for you know, our children's children. Yeah, it doesn't matter so, how many packs we're sending. Yeah, so when someone says, not very successful, I'm like, actually, 
We need to do that on this. I love this idea. So you don't think I've got growth? Do you think it profits the only thing? Here's the thing. Yeah. We need a speech on that. Um, how do those principles, you know, affect? Everyone also wants to know. Everybody that I've spoken to that are really at the top of their game, mm. the B Corps, and are really putting fundamentally our planet and people first, are mm. ending up with profitably very good businesses. Um because you've gone in as CEO to this and have really dug deep on the B Corp stuff to create a business that is a really decent business that looks after its people, looks after its planet. Mm. How has that affected commercially? And are you still judged totally on the commerce? So we're, we're part of an American PLC. Yeah. Uh, but this, this is the thing. This is the thing that, you know, when I talk to other CEOs and companies and boards about B Corp and about being more purposeful, if you're only interested in making more money, you will make more money. And I could, you know, we could, could give you 20 ways in which you're going to make more money if you lead a more purposeful business, if you lead a business that takes... So rewind that. Did you say if you're only interested in making more money, you will make more money? Yeah. Right. If you run your business in a purposeful way. Yes. You will get the best people. You, totally. you will have the best retention rates. You will... You know, you'll be able to connect with your consumers in a way that other companies can't because people are now looking for this. They're looking to buy from companies that align with their values. They want to work with companies that align with their values. I should have you on my side. Just, I, I, you know, I love when I meet people that are making this change and believe it, you know, deeply. It, it just makes me so joyous. Sometimes I get very sad, though. I don't know if you do. Do you mm. get sad, though? I well, do. I do. I do. You know, we'd look, COP has just ended and... and I think the team are quite surprised because I did this sort of conclusion for me of, of what happened from COP. And I think they thought I'd be more pessimistic. And sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But, yeah, no, know. I'm not pessimistic. I'm hopeful, but I get very sad sometimes. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you said there which is so important is that most people are really good. Mm. And they are, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And I believe in humanity. And, be, and I, that's what I believe in. I believe in the power of us and our decency and our humanity and our, our kindness and our generosity to make this change happen. I, I just believe that that is. And then I look at the power where policy, which we need here, you mm. know we need this mm. to change. Mm. And I look and I think some of you at the top there are the worst examples of humanity we could put out there, and you're in politics. Mm. But they're not going to be there for that longer. You know, that much yeah, but we, yeah, but how do we change that? Well, who's going to change? I, I know, but mm. we've got to look at it, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, when you say they're not going to be there for that, do you really think, for us, that we're going to see the end of the, the, the blonde buffoon? Really? But, well, he's not going to last forever. No, but um, listen, time's running out. Time is running out. But, you know, it, it seems that he's had some sort of, you know, road to Damascus I conversion. think it's obviously her, isn't it? Um, someone's pu pushing it, yeah. Someone's pushing it, uh, and... But, but, but I, I felt from COP that there was this general feeling for the first time ever amongst most of the people there that change needs to happen. Um, yes, they know, but it's like we're at the final hour. We are at the final hour, um, but, and we need to start making significant changes. But, I, you know, I look to things that hope, you know, the school strikes that happened, they're the biggest, biggest demonstrations ever that the planet has seen. And you look to millennials who get so much grief about this sort of me, 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 Simon Senecals, this is me, me, me mentality. You know, the great resignation in the US that's happening at the moment. It's People fantastic. are resigning. It's amazing. Like, good for it. Go for it. Go you know? for it. Come on. We need more of it. Now, listen, before we go, because I could sit and talk with you forever. Um, a key 
focus for you and i and I, i'd be interested i i don't know i've spoken to a couple of people on this is this campaigning on better business right yeah. tell me about it yeah the better business act in essence it's trying to change what is called section 172 of the companies act which defines the very purpose of all companies in the uk which at the moment is basically shareholder primacy so you know i work for an american plc i have one fiduciary duty and one fiduciary duty only, believe it or Makes not. Money Makes money for the money, shareholders. As much money as possible for shareholders. And that's that's clause what, number one? 178. Of 178 the of the Companies of the Act. The Companies Act. And that is it. Okay. okay. Have you uh, rewritten you guys what you want that to be? Yes, now? we have. Yes, somebody who who, who wrote the original. <laughs> so it's, who wrote the original? It, I, I can't remember his name, but we've had real experts. Yeah, it's amazing. And and we've rewritten it. And in, in simple terms, it is redefining the purpose of all companies in the UK to take account of all stakeholders. So the senior team to take account of all stakeholders in running the business. That is it. That is the request. And when you say all stakeholders, I am a stakeholder yes. as a customer. Correct. I am a stakeholder because you could be buggering my planet. Absolutely. Yeah. So the environment, yeah. society, customers, the people that work for you, your shareholders, all stakeholders in running your Absolutely. company. And I might just add, actually, if we are to have, I believe, if we are to have any chance of uh, hitting net zero or hitting the 1.5 degrees, this is what needs to happen. And I would also argue that the vast majority of CEOs and businesses would want to do this. I agree. Because the government's not going to hit any of these targets, right? Yes. It's not them. It's us that has to do this, exactly. right? Exactly. And we are saying level the playing field for everybody, right? Set the rules and regulation, and then we will go and deliver it. And that's all they need to do. I had a, a friend, she sadly died. I don't know if you ever heard of her, Polly Higgins, who was fighting. She was a lawyer. Amazing, amazing. She gave up her day job of being a highly paid lawyer to create a law on ecocide, basically, to say, if you're a company that is killing our planet, mm. I mean, there was no law on that. So, mm. you know, one of the big oil companies that let oil seep into our sea. Yeah. There was no law that that was illegal. That mm. was an ecocide law that she fought for. And uh, it was, I mean, I think, I think they, they pushed it through in France. They haven't pushed it through here. You can't do, you cannot do this to our planet. It is illegal. The shareholders are not just the people, the fat cats sitting at the door. Mm. The shareholders are all of us. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Please let me see what that clause is, because I'd love to, to read that. That's extraordinary. And there's a lot of you, isn't there, that's doing It's 800 companies. 800 companies. And it's not just B Corps. It's everyone no, no, from no, it's John everyone. Lewis. And yeah. it's fantastic. Um, but yeah. Is there any really bad ones in there, though? Come on. John Lewis isn't bad. <laughs> We're like, just chucking. Have we got Shell in there, for example? No, no we don't. But that wouldn't well, that be amazing? Yeah, of course like, it would. Why not? You know? Of course it would. And actually, I think if you spoke to the... Well, I don't know this. If you spoke to the CEO of BP, you know, he's transforming BP. I think yeah. he'd agree as well. Yeah. So yeah. why not? Yeah. Listen, it's a massive challenge. It's been really interesting talking to you. Mark, come, let's leave on something. How optimistic do you feel? That all businesses, and that's why I, I did this for kindness economy. The whole point for me is I spent my life in business. Mm. How do we, and for me is, how do we create businesses? that? Because it's going to come from that. You've either got politics, we've got business, and we've got people. Yep. That, that, that really is where the change is going to come from. Yep. How do we 
create business that can actually give back, create social progress, which you're doing. I want to not just make sales. I don't want to just even just look after that. I want people to have social progress, these children to be better fed. Businesses, this is exciting. See, I get excited by this because this is so much more damn interesting than how quickly can you grow a business, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. find it really interesting and it just makes me excited. And even though I'm 60, I'm going, God, great. I'm going into a new era. How optimistic do you feel that people are going to shift and that we're going to see a change happen? Uh, I would say two things need to happen. Uh, firstly, um, the CEOs of the great companies that are already doing stuff like this need to stand up and lead other companies. Yeah. And I just fundamentally believe that. And I think gone are the days where CEOs' um, responsibilities are just for the company that they are looking after. It's their exactly. entire supply chain, customers, and, and further afield. So we need the great companies to stand up and lead other companies. And then, actually, I'd also put responsibility on us all of us, we have tremendous power now. We have the power of where we work, and we talked about it before. If the company that you're working for don't fit with your values, leave and go somewhere that will, That's because you'll be time. much, much happier. And then the second thing is buy from companies that fit with your values. So if you don't want to buy products with palm oil, don't. If you want to have a plant-based diet, have a plant-based diet and then talk to your friends because that's the way that we can change the world. That's the stories that are going to seep into our culture that are going to make things change. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I love how expansive Mark's ambition is for Ella's Kitchen. You know, the really key part was fostering healthy eating habits in children. Yet we know that's at the centre of it. But he does so much more, giving back, being accountable and driving change in business. I wish there were more like him. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Simi Lindgren, founder of Uti, an AI-driven online beauty marketplace that's addressing inclusivity in a truly fresh, detailed, inspiring, and a little bit of soul-lifting way. Mm-hmm.